Hi, Gerd. And before you answer, is Gerd pronounced correctly? Hi, Adam. No, it's not. <laughs> but it's very close because like, you're German, right? So yeah. It, the G is a little bit softer. It's Gerd. Ah, so you are, so you are from, from Netherlands. Yeah, I am. I mean, my dad was, and then I've, I've lived in Belgium for a big part of my life. So. Okay. Yeah. So, so Heert. Heert. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So I didn't knew that. I, th I, I suspected that maybe you know, you're from Belgium or Netherlands. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but I, I said, okay. Okay, Heert. And, and everyone pronounced in the US Heert as well? No. Oh, everyone gets it wrong. <laughs> okay. It's totally fine. It's actually like an interest, always an interesting conversation starter. Um, okay. I have these tips and tricks, <laughs> like do this with your tongue and do that with your mouth, and then maybe like it will get closer. <laughs> okay. So, um, perfect. Um, now to back to the important stuff. What was your first computer? Ooh, that's an awesome question. Um, the first computer that I actually touched was a, I think it's a ZX Spectrum or a VIC-20, but I'm not certain. But the first computer that I owned was a Commodore 64. Um, okay. I spent, I was like a teenager and I was dreaming of programming. I thought it was just the most amazing thing. If you thought about it, you can just tell a machine what to do it and it mm -hmm. would do it. And it's like so sci-fi to me. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like going to bookshops when there were still like bookshops everywhere and looking at programming books, just imagining what it would be if I would be able to do that. And then for about, I think two years, I saved up all my chores money and I did like extra jobs. And I, I made like these postcards that my mom helped me to make with dried flowers to save up. Like I basically saved up coins to go mm -hmm. buy a Commodore 64 in the local FNAC. I don't know if they have, oh, they had FNACs in Germany. It was sort of like. No, but it's an interesting name. FNACs is the name? It's F N A C. It's okay. sort of like a media store. They had books, they had audio, okay. and then computers when they, those came around. Um, and I actually literally went to buy that Commodore 64 with a bag of coins. Okay. <laughs> they were not very happy about that. But yes. But what do you had before the Commodore 64? Nothing. So just dreams. Nothing. No, nothing. I was I was writing code on pieces of paper with books that I bought and and snippets that I just found around. It's like imagining what it would do. Like obviously everything was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I never even ran anything. Um, but we had a library, a local library in the little village where I uh, lived. And they had, I think it was weekly sort of initiation classes of new technology and whatnot. And they had a, a VIC-20 with logo running on it. So you had okay. the little turtle. And then I was like, oh, I can make the turtle do things. Um, yeah. So that was the start. <laughs> but but how you excitement begun so this, this is interesting because no i mean that the, there is no way that you just out of thin air you wanted just to program you, you saw a movie or, or what was the start you know of your passion because uh i think i just heard about it and it seemed so incredible to me like everyone was talking about computers like the personal computer and okay. and it's sort of 
Yeah, you remember, right? It was like the same package. You would get the computer and you would turn it on and would just have a blinking cursor. And it's like, yeah. you're not doing anything, right? So yeah. it's sort of like part of the deal. In order to use your computer, you start writing commands that uh-huh. turn into code and that turn into software. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was just, I mean, it's like the whole sci-fi robots, computers, like this is all super exciting. And then I was also, and this was a little bit later, but um, I was always very interested because I was also doing music back in the, mm-hmm. back in the day, I was already playing guitar. Um, I was like, oh, what if computers can make music? Um, okay. And then a little bit later when the Commodore Amiga came out, they, so you had the Atari ST and you had the Commodore Amiga. That was an Amiga fan. Um, and I still remember before I had an Amiga, one of the promotional flyers that were just handing out the computer stores was just a staff with notes printed on mm-hmm. them. And that would just be a screenshot. And I was mm-hmm. just looking at the shapes of those notes. And it's like, look at how round they look and how pretty they are though like those pixels are so small i still remember thinking that um so yeah it was sort of this combination of what it could potentially be and like the um, the possibilities the endless possibilities of creativity and imagination that 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 it opened up and well i thought it would open up as a kid and in reality it also opened it up um still can't believe we're living in this day and age <laughs> so so you never played so you always just uh wanted to program something or was also fascinated I'm by gamer, computer games i'm a gamer too um mm-hmm. yeah, i play a lot of video computer games but it's very hard for a game to capture my attention for a very long time because mm-hmm. usually and there's a few of them like elden ring i played 300 no, 400 hours of elden ring like Toll and Elden Ring fan. Like, there's a couple of them like that in, in the, over the course of a few decades. Uh, but usually I lose interest after about, like, an hour. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is too directive. Like, I, it, I'm just following a script. It's cool, but I could just be coding, and then I can make up whatever I want. <laughs> at, at the beginning, uh, I, was, uh, I was into games. I really liked playing, but uh, I started coding. It became boring immediately. So this was the same situation in yours. Okay, yeah. this is uh, not waste of time, but it is somehow I don't know. It is not exciting enough, right? So because uh, nothing happens there. This is you, you just you know directing something or doing something, but for what? So um, yeah. and and now I just what I enjoy, you know, um, if there is some conference and 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 a gaming PC, or whatever, just to watch for five five minutes, you know, the graphics and the mm-hmm. this is um really is old, oh, looks nice, but this is enough for me. So and not even you know have demand to to to, to actually play something. So. Right. Is, mm-hmm. I do try to stay up to date with gaming because um, there's been these few times because my role that I now have, I design products as well as program them and lead the team, but also do a lot of the feature design, product design, interaction design. And there are quite a few um, discoveries and approaches that have been made in gaming to in order to convey complicated concepts or complicated directions in a way that feels intuitive, mm-hmm. um, it happened a number of times that game, games have inspired me in mm-hmm. design decisions mm-hmm. for the products that I've worked on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do try to stay connected to it. Uh, funny, funny story. Do you know uh, the game, uh, I think it was called 
Cryo, Cryo, the Cryotech, I think, is the company. And this was uh, back then. It was like fifteen years ago, I think, or or ten years ago. It was. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I was told it's the best you no know, graphics ever. And uh, there were uh, software engineers, and they told me, "Okay, you have uh, in a project, you have to try it out, and 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 um, it is really hard to play." So it's okay, I will try it. So I bought the game, installed it, and um, I think in five hours or something, I just uh, com- uh, uh, just completed the entire game, and no one could believe. But what I did is, I just run right. So I said, "Okay, this is no shooting; is waste of time." If I complete the game, I run in my direction. If I was to you know, uh, and and I think at the end I have to 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 sh- to, to shoot us a, a few times, but it uh, actually the purpose of the game was a first first person shooter, you know. But if you run, um, I, I find out if just run, I, I would. And they said it's incredible. You were there, so yeah, I could perfectly explain where I was and and so forth. And and they say you are a gamer, it's like yeah, maybe, and then explain what I did, and no one could believe, you know. So this was <laughs> last time I played, like you know, fifty years. But you this was funny stuff. System. Yeah, it was like cryo, you know. Cry, I think cryo yeah, tech. Yeah, I, I remember, and they also have like a, the cryo engine that was used. For yeah, 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 and it looked really impressive. So mm-hmm. I remember I was, I was like, this is this looks almost like a real, right? So and um, yeah, um, okay. So um, you get the Amiga or on Commodore. What mm-hmm. was your first? Uh, I would say interesting program you wrote or maybe not interesting you know what was the very first program mm-hmm. you wrote and what was the progression from there and in which programming language i think well, basic was the first i guess yes, basic was the first first program i wrote was a game mm-hmm. um wow. copied from a book and you know back in, i i had no tape recorder so when i first had my commodore 64 i only had money for the computer and not for the tape recorder so okay. if i wanted to use it i would boot it up and i would code the game that I wanted to play, uh-huh. debug it, uh-huh. <laughs> and then maybe play it for five minutes, but be really happy that something was running. Um, so like a few iterations on that. So like tried a few games that are printed. You had these books with listings that you would just get and you uh-huh. would type them in and try things out. And then like I designed my own game and was super proud. And like, uh-huh. That's sort of the first thing, but I never saved it. Like, I had it sort of printed out on pieces of paper Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, I bought this citizen dot matrix, pl- no, not that, I'm sorry, the citizen color plotter. Mm-hmm. Like it, I think it had yeah, okay. six little pens or four or five. I don't remember the exact count, but you had different colored pens. Mm-hmm. You would hook it up to your Amiga and then it did nothing. Like it basically came with a manual of instructions like these are the basic commands you have to type in order to move your plotter from there to there and in order to change pens and and move it closer and and farther away and then and advance the sheet or retract the sheet like all of these commands and i was like okay guess i gotta write a painting program Mm -hmm. um so that was sort of the first program i really dived into um and and so i started and like every Every time I had a major milestone, I made this little printout and I showed it like at, at school and no one cared at all. I was like, my computer made this. And I was like, this is stupid. It looks like nothing. But I was like, oh, I'm making a painting program. Um, How old were you back then with the, with the printer? Like, that's cool. So it must have been around 11 or 12. Well, this is incredible. Yeah. So like I yeah. was like, that was my thing. I was really completely enamored with it. 
um, and just kept doing that. But you had access to books, right? So you could read yes, books. and I had and access okay. to books. Um, I would often just like go to Brussels, downtown Brussels, mm -hmm. to the FNAC, and I didn't have money as a kid to buy books. It's also how I learned English because the most interesting books were in English. So <laughs> okay. I was I was like trying to figure out what it all meant, um, <laughs> and okay. and sort of like I, I would like take notes and then go back home, look at the little piece of paper, and try it out on the computer. Um, and I stopped that program because I filled up the sixty four kilobytes of memory, and I was like, okay, well now I'm done. Like I can't I can't write any more code. <laughs> My computer's full. Um, and then just kept like trying little programs. And then some like two or three years later, um, we were at a sporting club, but mm -hmm. it was like a, they had squash tournaments and it was sort of a school activity. And, mm -hmm. you know, this was the advent of like computers getting everywhere. Right. And people not really mm -hmm. knowing how to use them. And there was this, I think it was the manager of the place. Like he, all of a sudden, like, came up and he says, does any one of your kids know anything about computers? And it's like, I know a little bit. Um, so I went, I went and followed him. And said, like, I have this thing and it's this program that is supposed to manage the tournaments, but it's not working right. And I look at it and it's like, yeah, this looks, my initial reaction was, this looks really bad. Like, this is a shitty program. Like, why would anyone have <laughs> And so I basically tell him, like, I can't really help you because it looks really buggy. Like, there's, I'm not filling in those words saying, I don't think I knew the word buggy at the time. Yeah. Like, there's something that is not working the way it should, and I can't really fix it because I didn't write it. And it's like, and in the end, turned out that this guy was totally open with paying me as a teenager to write a custom squash tournament manager for him. Mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. like, holy shit, I can make actual money with this. Like, mm -hmm. I, I was just doing this for fun. I can actually make way more money than if I would be working at a little store somewhere or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but it had to be in Turbo Pascal because it had to run... Actually, no. It had to run on a PC and the obvious choice was Turbo Pascal. I didn't want to mm -hmm. stay with basic. I was like, I wanted to advance. Um, and I gave him this deadline, like never having written a program for someone in my life. Like I can do this within three months. Like uh, surely I'll be able to do this. Um, and I basically got started. I learned on the spot, mm -hmm. got him a version in three months and it did more and better things than what his previous software did. And he gave he me money. And I bought an electric guitar and an amplifier, and I started. Like, I used the money to play music. Um, he was happy with the, he was with happy. the software. Like, I, I mm -hmm. gave him a few updates, and he gave me a little bit more money. And it was—I don't remember what the amount was, but it was too little for what it was worth. It was way more than what I had ever made as a kid. So it's like mm -hmm. everyone was happy. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Which music did you play on the on the guitar back then? What kind of music? Well, I've always been a, like a singer-songwriter, like acoustic mm -hmm. guitar, steel string. But I was really interested in having an electric guitar because I'd never had one. Mm -hmm. So that allowed me to purchase my first electric guitar, my first amplifier, play around with that a bit and realizing that it's not something I really gel with. It's cool, mm -hmm. but it's just not my way of expressing myself. Um, 
So yeah, and then from there on, I think it's been sort of always this type of scenario where it's like something looks really cool and interesting and I meet meet someone that is also cool and interesting. And I was just, yeah, I can do this for you. And then they take a bet on me. I take a bet on them and like just challenges and moving forward and doing cool shit. Okay. So um, this is interesting with the two of us, Carl. So what happened afterwards? So you learned, uh, you, you just uh, studied computer science or what was the progression? From no, the I never Pascal? had any formal education at all. I, like I studied to be an architect. Um, cool. that was sort of, and then I, I dropped out after three years because I realized I liked the creativity that they teach you in the first few years, but I didn't actually want to be an architect. I didn't want to deal with the actual constraints of art, like building someone a house mm -hmm. or, or any type of other building. Um, but I just kept coding all the time and kept like solving things through computer technology. It's like mm -hmm. when we had, when we had to make architectural simulations, I would be coding stuff in 3d renderers and just like do it all in a way that would be expressed with code and just ride a custom renderer and ride a custom 3d modeler or whatnot, just so that I could express what I had in my mind. Um, okay. And so after Turbo Pascal and to Turbo C++ and then like I started to learn different varieties of C++ and then the web came along and everyone wanted to have a website. One, one, one question, because it seems like you say, okay, you were a problem solver, right? There's some interesting challenge or so you did it, but mm -hmm. how you knew yeah, you had to learn a little bit in advance. I mean, there's no way that someone, you know, does something with Tua Pascal and then becomes, you know, efficient or productive with C++. They are just too different, right? So you had to, to know that that you have to learn now C++ or you learned it on, on the spot or in projects. So. Well, I don't know how that switch came up. Oh, actually, I think I... Well, I wanted to write stuff for the Amiga. Mm -hmm. And Turbo Pascal did not exist on the Amiga. Okay. So I had to learn C and C++. And then okay. I had these, they called it the ROM kernel manuals, I think. Um, okay. There's like three tomes of 500 pages of internals of the operating system and all the APIs. Mm -hmm. I had them shipped to me. It's like, I'm going to write something for the Amiga. That was too much for me. I was not able to do that. Like I basically read a few pages it's like the equivalent of a complete, like, imagine documentation of the Java VM, like, just like this young dude. I was like, I must have been like 18 at the time. It's like, I'm going to do this. And that was too much. But what I did do was learn how to write C++. And I wrote myself an ear training program because I wanted to have something that helped me with my musical studies so that I could recognize notes, intervals, um, chords. And there was nothing out there at the time that would assist me to do that in the computer front. And it's like, it's so tedious for me to play back a cassette tape and try to rec recognize like whatever chord it is. And I would also memorize it after a while because they were always in the same order. So obvious answer was, let's just write a program for that. And that was my first shareware pro program that I sort of published for the Amiga. Um, mm -hmm. And that's also when I learned a little bit of assembly back in the day. Because so you made some money with the program as well? Some what? Some money. So you could sell it, the shareware? Yeah, or? so I could sell it and I could like sort of, yeah, it's just a hobby that, that then made a little bit of money. Um, yeah. so, so you were lucky because uh, what I thought, uh, because I uh, know it, it sounds like, okay, I was interested in it, so I just did it. 
but the C++ uh, um, 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 switch was the right choice, right? So uh, yeah. because I mean, this was the next big thing, C and yeah. C++. So you were lucky because if there will be some you know, proprietary Amiga programming language, so maybe there were a waste of time, right? So now you are right. lucky that you are. It was the next step. The next challenge was C++. And then afterwards was Java. Um, Why Java? Luck. I was I was okay. sitting in a pub. I was living downtown Brussels and mm-hmm. partying a lot, going out a lot. And there was this pub I used to go to all the time. And there's this guy that sits at the pub at the bar with me. And we start talking about like mm-hmm. possibilities and technology and whatever. And he's like, well, I have this company i started with my brother his brother like very smart genius dude um um, and we're developing custom software for people Um, Mm and i'm like well that sounds cool and he's like yeah we're actually hiring it's like well i'll try that out if you want to and so we ended up spending the whole night at the bar like getting pretty wasted but then the next day he said like you should just come over in the next <laughs> barely any sleep and ended, mm-hmm. ended up at that spot. Um, talked with his brother, was very impressed, like, oh, wow, I can learn a lot from this person because I never really had a lot of people that I could learn from. Um, mm-hmm. And Dave wanted to hire me and I wanted to work there and he was a huge Java advocate. Like, he, that was mm-hmm. Java 1.0. Is he okay. saw the possibilities of Java, and he was working f- for, on projects for the European Space Agency. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like, I'll teach you Java if you do the menial stuff, if you just do the small projects. And, and mm-hmm. so I'm basically like a little bit of an assistant. Um, mm-hmm. like, and that's how I got really, really interested in the possibilities of Java and, and everything mm-hmm. I could do. Um, mm-hmm. And then got more and more involved there, and more and more projects. Did like s- several like, e-commerce systems or backend systems for specific chains of, 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 mm-hmm. of retail stores. Helped out. So you use application them. servers like Java Sun Web Server or Tomcat mm-hmm. back then. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. And then I could see the possibilities of Java, but I was. Still very much this sort of, and I still kind of am, I guess, this sort of gung-ho, um, let's just do shit type mm-hmm. of stuff. And they, I decided to leave them because it was over. Like, mm-hmm. I felt like there was no more progression for me. And there was high demand for doing things on the web, like mm-hmm. dynamic interactive websites. Um, Mm -hmm. So I got into that and did a bunch of consultancy jobs and then really, really very lucky. Like I've been lucky quite a few times. There's Mm -hmm. one of the consultants knew someone that was working. He was kind of a higher up dude at Proximus. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you know, it's a mobile company in Belgium, mobile Mm -hmm. phone company. they were sort of one of the first big mobile phone companies out there mm-hmm. in Belgium. And they needed um, a custom solution for tailored promotions and 
sales activities for individual customers and individual products based on their sales history, based on their payment history, based on the different type of um, solutions that they wanted to push forward with a particular strategy. And they they had been working with, um, I think it was Accenture for two years and never really got to anything. Mm-hmm. But he had sort of promised that it would be done three months from now. Like mm-hmm. by the time I met him, it's like, it should be done. Could you do this? Because mm-hmm. someone had told him that I was a good programmer. And I'm like, hmm, this is a lot. Like you're mm-hmm. asking a lot for me here. So I basically struck a really hard bargain. I, my conditions were, yes, I can do this, but you pay me a lot of money. It's the first mm-hmm. thing. Secondly, I give you no guarantees. Like mm-hmm. I'm not signing anything that promises quality, deliverables, anything. <laughs> Thirdly, I keep the ownership of all the code. Mm-hmm. You don't own the IP. I own it. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, I'll do everything I can to get this done in three months. Mm-hmm. And I got it done in three months. And they went live, used it. I, all these conditions were met. Plus, they wanted me to continue maintaining it. So they basically paid me a maintenance fee, a monthly maintenance mm-hmm. fee. It's a, almost a regular salary just to keep that thing like evolving and that continued mm-hmm. for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and since I owned the IP for all of it, that turned into what then became a framework that I published called Rife and, and that I used for building out a whole bunch of other custom solutions for customers in Belgium. And every time it was sort of the same deal. Like you, you can use what I did for others, but then you give me the IP for everything I write for you. Mm-hmm. And I just kept it building out that way. This was very smart. It's almost beginning of open source, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. The interesting part is um, how I found you. I re- this is this is crazy. So I remember you. Uh, you were uh, I don't know. I, I remember a podcast with you. I think it was Java Posse about Rife. Mm-hmm. And what I also remember is the idea of continuations. Mm-hmm. And then I forgot about that. But the name Rife. Is a nice one. So I've, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just I just remember the name of the framework because I'm I really yeah. like Java and like the frameworks. And recently I found you per accident on Blue Sky. Yeah. And uh, then I say, okay, I know you from somewhere, and I know you from conferences. Who are you? And then I found you know this Rife again. So okay, this is an interesting story actually. Yeah. And uh, and back then, I mean, how you got the idea? To implement a web framework, right? This was, I think, 2006, 2005. So we had maybe JDK 1, 2 um, mm-hmm. with continuations. So how you got the idea of continuations? I, because I felt like things must be... I was, u- I was using this to develop solutions for customers, right? Mm-hmm. And it felt so cum- cumbersome to do this continuous request response cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and to always have to take into account what might have happened before, before reconciliating that with the state that you want to be at, before mm-hmm. continuing what you expect to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it just felt wrong. Mm-hmm. 
And then I started researching, like, what else is out there? And I, I found Seaside that was running in Smalltalk. Mm-hmm. Um, so Smalltalk having um, continuations natively in the language at that time already. Um, mm-hmm. And Seaside did this and was like, wow, this is an awesome idea. Seaside being a Smalltalk uh, frame, web framework. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, I wonder if this is possible in Java. Mm-hmm. And so then I started learning about bytecode manipulation and I started looking into like, how bytecode is actually structured and what the primitive opcodes are and, and how I could potentially hack bytecode so that I could add continuations in the context of, of a web execution uh, application. And turned out that that was possible. So learn bytecode manipulation, put that in there. And that sort of got me to speak at a lot of conferences and gave that framework some of its popularity back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, what continuations are, um, it is like you are persisting the the, the the stack, right? So you're persisting the entire call stack. And you can, um, if you come back, you can you can just you know resume your work where you where you where you where you left. So there are no yeah. sessions. It's just you know for you it looks like it looks like yeah just I would say a, a regular single threaded Java program, right? Yep. Yeah. You just say pause here, and then the next request comes around, and it resumes from there. It, it reconstitutes all your local state, and you can be certain that nothing else was added or no changes were made and you know exactly where you left off. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, it's really convenient to think about specifically if you have a particular flow that you want to bring uh, mm-hmm. a, a user through. It's like, okay, these are the different steps. A typical, typical example, a, a checkout flow or a wizard or, 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 or a questionnaire or something that has a series of steps where you mm-hmm. want to keep track of where mm-hmm. someone is. Mm-hmm. Um, that then becomes extremely trivial because you can just write it out as just mm-hmm. imperative code. Like there's no real thinking about it. Mm-hmm. How, how you did it So uh, uh, back then? I mean, you, you manipulated bytecode. You already said that. Mm-hmm. But uh, why and how you manipulated bytecode? I ended up using ASM, which is now inside mm-hmm. the JDK, right? Because um, mm-hmm. it seemed to be... I really liked the visitor approach that ASM had compared to like others with Java Assist was sort of more like a DOM approach. Um, mm-hmm. So the way I did it was basically you have this table switch that you can use as a bytecode um, instruction that allows you... It's basically like a series of go-tos and you can mm-hmm. jump to any location inside the bytecode, provided that you handle the stack correctly, mm-hmm. that the mm-hmm. stack stays coherent. Um, and so, luckily, I didn't realize that when I set out to in- investigate that. The web for this is a perfect problem because it is not a full-blown continuation that you need. It's a partial one. Mm-hmm. You basically want the continuation that happens as soon as your server-side request is being handled, like mm-hmm. even if it's like even a servlet or whatnot. It's you don't want to have the continuation in in this scenario over the whole execution stack. You basically want it over that very constrained, usually not that large piece of code 
that handles the specific logic for that request for that user. Mm -hmm. So what it ended up being was two main pieces is writing table switches that would be able to get back to where you were. Mm -hmm. So just jumping over things, following the maze to where you want to be each time. And then in parallel, track the stack so Mm -hmm. that anything that is local state you would be able to preserve it and restore it when you arrive at the location that you're mm-hmm. supposed to. Mm-hmm. Did it scale well? So was this like, uh, if you compare it with other solutions, was it comparable? Was it just convenient and, you know, or how performant was it actually? I don't remember the performance numbers. Um, there was nothing that scared me about it when I tried to push it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, as opposed to many Java um, efforts that I see, I've always been focused on solutions that is for like m- mid-sized com- companies, mid-sized solutions, not mm-hmm. like scale to a million visitors per second. That has never been what I've had to solve. It's usually been um, you have this particular problem for a website that might have hundreds of visitors at any given time, but nothing more than that. And it was way within like the, the characteristics to handle that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, perform- yeah. performance-wise, it was not a problem at all. It was great. Yeah, same here. I, I would say, uh, I don't know, remember the conferences and all where everyone was supposed to behave like Google or Netflix. I never understood right. it because the typical enterprise project were way smaller and yeah. uh, way over-engineered. So I'm completely with you. I just ask because um, your first client was the uh, telco company from Belgium. So I thought, mm-hmm. you know, this is maybe a little bit more traffic. But um, yeah. Well, they were using that for... There was an internal tool for their sales engineers. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. It was not publicly mm-hmm. facing. So even though there was like thousands of sales engineers, it's still like wow, a couple of requests a second. It's like nothing. Okay. So, and and how popular was Rive One? Way more popular than I thought. Like when I sort of lost interest in 2010, 2012, I kind mm-hmm. of thought like, well, this could have been more. But then in the decade that followed, I kept running running into people that were using it and that like had it in production and had just been running for years without any any issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really. I'm not a marketing guy, so I never really track visitor numbers or mm-hmm. and then we were also in the day where you did not have github and you did not have all of that stuff so you would have to start doing download calendars for whatever like binary you would send out so i never really paid attention to that um mm-hmm. but there was good a good little community of people that were passionate and helping out and writing documentation and contributing and it was it was pretty cool um but yeah. uh, you also had a template engine, right? You had to. I mean, yes. back then, yeah. So was it like JSP-like or JSF-like so, or Velocity? What was it? It's nothing like any of that. So let me let me take one step back, um, mm-hmm. which I think might be interesting. So I reactivated the Rive project a little bit over a year ago mm-hmm. because, so in the meantime, I did a bunch of other stuff, like I said before, um, I'm a musician and I've always been active in music and I got, I've been extremely fortunate to work together with Moog Music, mm-hmm. which is one of the companies that invented the synthesizer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And over the last eight years, I've become like director of software engineering there. And I'm, all, all the software projects are, are sort of being handled by me. Mm-hmm. And about a year and four months ago, we wanted to launch something in direct software sales, a product that would that we wanted to push directly to customers. Mm-hmm. And I started looking for existing solutions. I couldn't find anything that allowed it to be as consciously tailored in terms of checkout flow and user experience. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I used to write these, these, these web applications. Surely this can't be that hard because it was mm-hmm. a very simple, straightforward thing. Basically, someone wanted a product. They said, buy. It does the checkout process. Stripe has fixed Stripe and PayPal have fixed all the hard problems. So mm-hmm. you just have to integrate with that and send them an email and a serial number, and that's it. Like it's it can't be that hard, right? Um, mm-hmm. But we wanted everything to be branded as Mo. We wanted to have a specific attention to detail to every individual step. And none of the solutions offered that. So I said, okay, well, let's, I'll do a little spike. I've been, I was out of the loop for quite a while in the server side um, realm. And I started with this uh, micro framework, Spark. I don't know if you know okay. it. It's not Apache Spark, but Spark, Spark framework, um, which looked like, the best choice to me from mm-hmm. when I was surveying. Um, How you found Spark? This is uh, interesting, right? Because so mm-hmm. uh, and another interesting thing is you just uh, kept programming Java between Rive one and two, or you just focus no, on something stopped. else? Else and then uh-huh. okay, yeah, yeah I've, I've been for the last ten years. I've been writing synthesizers in Objective C, C plus plus, and C. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. and I've like been publishing apps on the App Store. Um, with millions of users and like completely different, completely different industry, um, okay. and not kept in touch with Java at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like I said, I had this particular need. Figured that I could probably learn if something happened over that period of time that I needed to learn. I was very happy with the advancement that Java made. Like I mm-hmm. loved the frequent releases and. How like how innovative the language has become, mm-hmm. um, and then I did a search and I looked at all the sort of available server side solutions, and Spark seemed like the best designed one, like the one that um, very pragmatic and just mm-hmm. gets it done. Um, and so I started with that, and I in 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 just a week i spiked this whole thing and wrote it out it's like oh we've got something working i know i know we can make this to the end because all all the questions i had were proven i was integrating with with oh that's how i found spark because stripe had examples in their documentation that were using spark oh that's interesting okay yeah yeah and so i had sort of my little spike running of all of the prototype it was like okay template engine so this is goes back to your question um sorry sorry for the, the roundabout way to get to the template engine question um mm-hmm. so template engine then i needed to choose a template engine and i'm probably like i'm very opinionated on template engines because i think they all suck that's mm-hmm. just that's what i think um probably because i have 
a visual design mindset in when I think about layout. Um, I'm used to thinking about an actual template. Like if you look at any visual design template, it is it is a, a document in which holes are being left open mm-hmm. where you have symbols or snippets that you take from elsewhere and you fill them into the holes, right? Usually template engines have an execution flow. Mm-hmm. That is like how GSP works. That's how, even though some like Velocity says there is no execution flow, there is still like you're executing the template. Um, so th- the way I think about templates is just like in the, in, in the graphical design world, it's a dead document with holes that are left to be filled in. And mm-hmm. then have symbols or snippets that you modify and then you put them into the holes. So mm-hmm. it's almost like you're the puppet master orchestrating the template to be to be like created the right way. Um, I've never thought of templates where you're inside the template and the template itself creates itself and the template itself pulls data from outside that always felt wrong to me. Mm -hmm. So when I was working on that prototype using Spark for this e-commerce solution, I then had to actually pick a template engine. I was like, I I couldn't find anything I liked again. Um, Even though the Spark framework is pretty cool. I like that a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you know what? I wonder how hard it would be to port my old template engine and make it work with like Java 17 and plug it into the the Spark execution flow. Mm -hmm. And so I had this, it had been this gnawing thing like for the last 10 years, like I kind of want to redo Rife and I want to do it like with, with everything I've learned over the last two decades. And I had this like half started project open, like, for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, oh yeah, let's just do this. Let's focus on the template engine. Um, and I basically got through that in a, in a, in a week. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I redid it from scratch because there were some problems with the parser that I always wanted to solve. And I had written my own custom parser back in the day, but then I wanted to use Antler and actually have something that was robust and it could give me good error reporting and that I could like very easily see how the actual like language like structure was of, of the template engine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that went really well. And I got that done faster than I expected. Um, and I was like, okay, so now I need to plug this into spark. And then I was like, no, spark is pretty much a micro framework. I wonder, <laughs> it just kept happening. It's like, I wonder if I port the continuations from Rife over to Java 17 and then just make it very like lightweight, just like Spark is, um, framework to be able to hook into that. So that was like the next week. Um, <laughs> and then basically in three weeks' time, I had ported over. And then the next part was, oh, now I need to interact with the database. Um, it was like, do I really have to like go for Hibernate or any of the other solutions. Like I have that database engine. I'm, I, I wonder what would happen if I ported this over to uh-huh. Java 17. 
um, which I then did the next week. Um, and each time I was sort of building the application. Um, and so in, in basically in less than a month, I had Rive 2 created that had most of the building blocks necessary to build this e-commerce solution. Um, and then I needed to do more. Like we needed to have an admin side. We needed to have reporting. We then... Mm -hmm needed to build that down to multiple projects, products and a cart in multiple languages and all of that. And I wanted to hand this over to my team. Uh -huh. um, and so I was like, okay, guys, because no one there had done any web programming. And I was like, okay, this is an experiment. Let's see how we do with this. Um, and so I was writing documentation while implementing Rive 2, uh -huh. while they were working as a team on implementing the rest of the e-commerce solution. And over the course of a little bit over two months, we built that whole thing out afterwards. And I published the next version of the framework um, fully documented. Um, and the documentation has basically served my team in order to understand how to how to use what was being created. Mm -hmm. Now see how how uh, productive Java actually is, right? So you, you built, so this cool. is incredible. I love it, yes. And, and and every 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 change that they've made has been for the better. Like it, Java seventeen offers so much affordances to to be productive in code, and then with IntelliJ IDE allowing you to just breeze through and use your code as your guide. Mm -hmm. Right? There's mm -hmm. no need to look anything up. You can just type and do stuff and and get results almost immediately. Mm -hmm. um, lovely. And uh, regarding uh, regarding Rive, a question. So, um, is the Rive uh, everything? I mean, even the HTTP stack you 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 wrote from scratch, or is it based on Jetty, Tomcat, or whatever? So, is it like a full stack Rive, completely independent, you know, from any other backend service, or or is it based on something? It, it's based on the server API, so you can you can you can run it as. A, double, a, a war archive anywhere or it's got Jetty or Tomcat if you want to, like you can flip them out uh, embedded if you just want to run it standalone. Okay, so uh, the Rive was, Rive 1 was servlet based, right? Yeah, this too, this is also server based. Okay, so it's servlet based. It's actually filter mm -hmm. based it's, it's using filters more than servlets. Okay so it's an interesting concept. Okay, so of course, I mean, Struts was also servlet based, mm -hmm. and JSF were also servlet based. I thought you know you you implemented everything from scratch because you needed the continuations. This was uh, my assumption. No, it's not necessary because, uh, like I said, it, those are partial continuations. If you uh, if you are interested in the continuations for the user logic, not for mm -hmm. what people are doing now with um, with with the lightweight threads. Um, and mm -hmm. what is Project Lombok, right? Uh, Project uh, Loom and Virtual Threads. Loom, mm -hmm. Loom sorry. Project Loom. Um, that is to, to, to handle server-side connections, right? Mm -hmm. To be able to, to scale without paying the, paying the price of having running threads. Um, exactly. So you can very efficiently wait. So it, it right. could be related, actually, to Rive2 because... Mm -hmm. What you could, if you could instrument the virtual threads, then you right. could have a millions of continuations right. in parallel, you know, uh, working yep. for you. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, so they actually work together. We've like we've, we've got that running. So Rife is now has got multiple people in the project again because it's interesting how everyone from the past is coming back out of the woodworks. I don't know if you remember um, Eric Tovin. Yes, but I don't know from where. I know the name, but uh... yeah, he had a link blog that was extremely popular like 15 years ago, mm-hmm. um, where he he would like every week publish his take on the news. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was part of a magazine and they would republish his stuff. So he, he's like, he was very popular. Um, and we also, we got back in touch, not through blue sky, but we got back in touch over Mastodon, the other so new social media framework, mm-hmm. uh, social media network. And he was looking into some problems with URL encoding and decoding. And we started looking into that. And then we had this little project that we did together to build a better URL encoder and decoder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he wanted to rewrite his blog and he like was interested in looking at Rife. And then we started working on that together. And then we ended up creating, so that's like another, <laughs> I don't even know why I did this, but it, I'm still very happy I did. Um, so last piece of infrastructure, I was working with my team on getting that e-commerce site up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to convince them to use Gradle or Maven. And mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit, do I really want to go down that route? Like, they're <laughs> going to hate me. Uh-huh. So, and I, I, I hate them personally too. Like, I just can't stand it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, I wonder what, what would and it basically was just a joke. You, you know Cameron Purdy from uh, Tangasol, the Coherence. Like I was, I was, I was bitching about Gradle on, on social media, and, uh-huh. Cam, and, and Cameron was replying, and I was like, maybe I'll just, I'm just basically joked. On, it was also on Mastodon, I think. I basically joked, and it's like, you know, I should just build my own build tool that only uses pure Java. Uh huh. Just started laughing at me, and I was like, you know what? Maybe that's not a bad idea. Um, and so we started that. Like Eric Tovin had been working on this other build tool um, together with Cedric Boast, guy from TestNG. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, what was that build? Cobalt? Was that? Uh, what was the game? I know Cedric, uh, but I didn't know uh, he created uh, EGB Doclet. He worked for BA and also had you know, him on, on the podcast. But I had no yeah, idea so that Cedric also this, built, had a build tool. Yeah, so Cobalt, right? Maybe. Yeah, so he had that build tool, and he and Eric worked on that together. Um, and it was main, mainly like relying on Kotlin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was popular for a while, apparently, but then sort of lost steam. Um, and Eric had always been sort of interested in like, like pro- pro- productive build tools that get out of your way and just let you focus on the other stuff without having to mess with the build stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like prototyping, like using pure Java for a build tool. And he got really excited. And that became now our project for the last, last six months. We've been basically working on that. Um, What's the name of the project? Good. Sorry. What is the name of the project of the build project? BLD. BLD. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it's basically you use Java to write your build logic and you like using closures and 
functional interfaces. It makes it really easy to write. Like it's it's like a DSL in Java. Um, so listen, what we have to do, I have to reinvite you back. And what I would like to talk a little bit more about, you know, Rife 2, what uh, what were the challenges in migration and okay. about your synthesizers, also a really interesting story, you know, because, uh, yeah, it seems like a really great company with nice design. So if I would really like to know uh, more about that. And of course, Pure Java build tool, because what I'm also a huge fan is there's no dependencies. I don't like, you know, to, to just, you know, pick framework to have, uh, I just, I think Java is powerful enough right now that you can achieve exactly. a lot without any external dependencies. I'm really interested in it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's, that's what I was looking for. Like, why, why do I have to pull down all this stuff? All I want to do is compile my code and package and run it. Like, that's mm -hmm. all I want to do and, and run the tests. Mm -hmm. Like, it's all I want to do. Yeah. Um, and then the really cool thing that then happened, like, we realized that, you know how you have all these plugins for Gradle and Maven and whatnot, right? Um, if your build tool is Java, you can use any Java jar as part of your build logic. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't really need a plugin system. You can use anything you want. Mm -hmm. So you can very easily integrate with whatever, like, code analysis tool or report generator or... Hey, we, ha we have to stop here. Uh, otherwise, we'll talk enough for two hours. So this is just, okay. <laughs> just too All interesting right. for me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, where people can find you on the internet? So, do you have you know a a, a, a handle where I can find you and uh, Rife Two or I will put it to the show yeah, notes. Rife dot com mm -hmm. is for the framework, but I have my own company called Uwin. It's mm -hmm. W it's U W Y N mm -hmm. dot com. Mm -hmm. um, stands for Use What You Need, but just those four letters. Wow! And that's, name. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, and that sort of has a link to all the stuff that I'm doing. So what do you do with the company? People can hire you or what's the deal with you win? It's been a shell around me for forever. Uh, okay. It used to be what I, like when, when I was creating um, these solutions in Belgium, they used to be the company that I did everything for. But then now in the US, mm -hmm. like, there's a lot. I started doing 3D printing and I'm actually selling 3D printed products through that company also. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's sort of a vehicle around me in order to be able to legally sell stuff. Very without... good. Yeah. So thank you, and I have to reinvite you back because uh, you're you're a really um, interesting person and uh, and uh, uh, lots of you know interesting frameworks. And uh, what I'm really uh, it's this really interesting project because you know you forgot Rive for ten years, right? Or mm. not forgot? You didn't maintain it for ten years, and then you just you know modernize that and this is uh this is a really interesting project so um maybe we have to chat about the details because i'm really interested yeah. it so, would be awesome so anytime thank you for your time it was really great thank to you. talk to you yeah and i hope we get to meet each other in person someday after all those years maybe java police <laughs> or devox java police yeah. you remember that so uh yeah, devox belgium maybe yeah maybe i'll try to make it out this time perfect